With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So welcome to Matt's Side, a new feature on Intermat. I'm your host, Richard Mann, and on the show we will chat with media folk and personality about the happenings in the wrestling world. Um, with all the wrestling out there these days, Greco simply does not get enough attention or love. So for the inaugural edition, we are going to talk to the man behind the best Greco wrestling website out there, Five Point Move, and that is Tim Hans. Tim, how are you today? Uh, very well. I appreciate you having me on, Rich. I didn't know that this was uh, going to be the maiden voyage, so that's nice. Glad to be included. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, sort of like want to start high level, talk about the Greco-Roman trials process that went down on Thursday and Friday. Um, I guess my first question to you would be, in retrospect now that it's in the past, how do you feel about the idea of keeping the Greco trials separate from Final X and having it as its own tournament? Um, I think it's a necessity right now. And the reason why that I say that is because, first and foremost, Greco-Roman wrestling in this country, even at the senior level, does not enjoy the same level of depth as freestyle. That is a competitive disadvantage internationally, and I think everybody pretty much knows that. The thing is, is that for Greco, for Greco to stand out, I don't think being included in the final X would have been um, in any way, shape, or form a benefit. And the reason why that I, I say that is because freestyle and I mean, and, and women's freestyle would have still stolen, you know, the the brunt of the coverage. So what, in my estimation, what probably would have happened is that how who, you know whomever emerged out of the freestyle people, you know, you know, all the names everybody knows, they would have gotten you know eighty five percent of the attention, and then Reco itself, I think probably would have would have come in more as a, a footnote, like oh they were here too. Um, so I, I like the separation for right now, um, just because in our side, on our side of this whole situation, we're trying to build not only talent and you know, uh, whatever you want to say, uh, a higher level of competition globally, but we're also trying to build our stars here. I mean, we only have a few that even the casuals are familiar with, whether that's Kamal Bay and I was Coleman and Robbie Smith and whomever else, it's the other guys who kind of need attention, uh, I, I think, especially at this juncture of their careers. So having this separation, I, I actually like it. Now, I'm not an athlete. You know, the athletes want to be seen on the same level as freestyle. It's just that, in my opinion, having some kind of line of demarcation, at least currently, works more in Greco's favor than if they were even included in the final X, if that makes any sense. Right. And you talked about, you know, bringing more attention and um, competition to the Greco program. And, you know, one of the things that Matt Lindland, the coach, has talked about is trying to get some of those guys from freestyle or college guys over. Um, 
I just wanted to get your thoughts on the progress of that and just what you thought about Linlin's coaching performance so far. Well, I mean, as far as Linlin's coaching performance so far, um, he's the right person in the right place at the right time. I don't think there's any question about it. He's forward thinking. He's resourceful. He's tireless. I mean, um, you know, I'll put it to you kind of uh, in relative context here. His his work ethic is is intense, and not that any other national team coach, uh, you know, is has you know mailed it in or something like that. It's just you know we're talking about Linlin on his own time and his own dime, you know, flying to different parts of the country on occasion to solicit fundraising, you know. We've never had a national coach who's had to do that before. Um, and the national governing body is structured in such a way that it, it shouldn't have to really be that way. But he's gone and done that. He's also made it no secret that what he believes is the way to you know, bolster our sport in this country is by going after youth and providing more and more opportunities for youth to get full-time training or at least more supplemental training uh, during their breaks from folk style. And he's also helped foster an environment that is creating a lot of opportunities for your age group athletes to go overseas. So, uh, no, Linland is performing very well. What is happening is just like any other Greco-Roman coach throughout most of the history of this country is that he's, you know, he's, he's, it's an uphill battle. Right. You know, there's a lot he contends with, both um, perception-wise and with the folk style systems, dynamics, and everything else. So, given all of those parameters, he's doing a fantastic job. But he will ultimately, of course, just like anybody else, it's a results-oriented business, and you know, it'll be judged by what happens throughout the next uh, remainder of the quad. Um, as far as getting more and more freestyle folk style type of athletes involved, it is pretty much a futile effort right now. Um, Matt Lilland and Gary Mayap instituted this new freestyle to Greco-Roman transition camps uh, throughout the spring, this past spring, and hardly anybody showed up. There was one guy who crossed over, that was Dom Bradley, who finished just out of the national team uh, at 130 kilograms heavyweight. Uh, the Differences between Greco-Roman, especially Greco-Roman at the senior level. Okay, not now. This that's without being long-winded. That's something very important, I think, for people to understand because most everyone in the country is familiar with Fargo and Cadet and Junior type of Greco-Roman. That is a very different thing comparative to senior. Senior is uh, it's of nuance it's a specialized skill set and what we're contending with is freestyle guys or folk style collegiate guys who even if they have prior age group experience are not experiencing this same level of success that they probably envisioned coming in I you know I think they're they're being taught lessons on how difficult this actually is. I mean, Gabe Dean, who took second place at the 2015 Pan Am Championships, now the Pan Am Championships, depending on the year, is not 
you know, it's not the highest level event on the calendar. But it was still noteworthy. You know, Gabe Dean going over to Greco, I mean, his father wrestled Greco. I mean, it was awesome. But Gabe Dean, you know, committed to Greco competition uh, a year ago, spent the summer, you know, training and whatever at Cornell. He goes into the U23 World Team Trials in Rochester, Minnesota last October and gets his doors blown off on a couple of arm throws. So, and we never saw him again. He, you know, left the arena and didn't come back. So it's a, it's a, it's a really kind of difficult thing. Um, I just talked to Sam Hayeswinkle and Sam is, you know, Mr. Positivity and he believes that there should be, you know, the same sort of pipeline allowing freestyle guys to come over. But I, I think even Sam, what Sam is probably missing is that Greco has tried to be inclusive and get more freestyle guys involved. I mean, that's what the trials procedures the last few years have kind of been geared towards. Right. And you can't, you know, you can't lead a horse to water. You know, it, it has to be in their heart. If it's not in their heart and it's just being seen as some kind of, well, you know what? I'm not going to make the freestyle team. I might as well try Greco. Well, that was okay in the nineties. It's not how it works anymore. It's a, We've even even despite the United States trying to constantly improve its program to, you know, compete better at the world level, it is still heads and shoulders uh, above what a normal American wrestler is used to, even if they were successful as a 16 year old. Right. And I think it's it's sort of like a double edged sword, right? Because on one hand, I think that there's a sort of a perception that the Greco guys are behind the freestyle guys. But then when we see freestyle guys go over, I mean, you know, Don Bradley's one of the best guys in freestyle at heavyweight. And, you know, he um, he had a lot of trouble at the Greco trials against some guys that I think a lot of people thought he would be able to handle. So on one hand, it kind of shows that the Greco guys really are performing a different craft at a high or higher level. But at the same time, it's like, you know, maybe freestyle guys don't want to don't want to have that drop in prestige, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's not to take anything away from, you know, it's, it's certainly not to take anything away from freestyle. I mean, myself, um, five point, uh, some of, you know, the more hardy, Corey Greco people, I think we get it like this kind of rap, like, uh, you know, we're dissing freestyle or something ridiculous like that, which I mean, I can't even begin to understand the logic behind that line of thinking, if only because freestyle is undeniably incredibly successful. Um, no, it's, I, it is a specialized thing. You see, that's, that's another part of the problem in the U.S. is that internationally, you know, whether we're talking most of Europe, Eastern Europe, uh, you know, I think, I think American wrestling fans don't understand that there are some countries on planet Earth excellent countries, by the way, that do not offer freestyle wrestling. They just compete in Greco. Okay, that's it. Like, there's not, they don't have a freestyle team and a national uh, Greco team or a women's team. No, they just have Greco. Okay, that still exists. And moreover is in a lot of other nations, their best wrestling athletes are identified at a young age. You know, be that, you know, 10, 11 maybe older, maybe schoolboy or even cadet, but when they identify who they believe are the best wrestling athletes, they bring them over to Greco and the leftovers go to freestyle. 
okay? So <laughs> in the United States, it's completely the opposite a lot of times. A lot of times our best wrestling athletes, you know, transition into freestyle following college or during college or however that works. And the guys who weren't quite as successful, maybe they try to, you know, rough it up in Greco for a little while and provide some depth uh, in our program. But uh, yes, it's it's a it's it's a there's a lot of differences that I think uh, people don't understand, even other coaches and people in wrestling media as a whole. All right. Well, yeah. So let's get into it. Um, we'll start at 55. Sam Hayeswinkle won the spot in two matches over Max Nowry. Um, it was a reversal of the result of the Open where Nowry had won. And uh, yeah, so at 35 years old, Hayeswinkle is back on the world team and he's going to be repping the team uh, overseas. Right, yes. Yeah. Sam Sam came on pretty much like as if he had never left in Vegas. He was crisp. I mean, you never expect somebody like Sam Hayeswinkle to all of a sudden not appear like as if he doesn't have like the highest level of technical acuity. But no, I mean, just everything about him was remarkable in Vegas, just not in with how only with how he performed, but also with just how he looked. He never sagged. He was never, you know, he was never breathing. His chest was never heaving up and down as if he was gassing or anything like that. He was a machine. And he's Sam Hayeswinkle. He's, he's been down this road plenty of times over the last however many years. I mean, we're talking, he started banging around the senior level uh, 2002 or three. So he knows what he's doing and he goes and he loses. I mean, Max Nowry, Max Nowry, I think, even comparative to Sam, is a much more classical Greco-Roman style. And he gave Sam a lot of problems in exchanges. It was a 10-3 match. A couple of those, uh, I think, four points of those 10 for Nowry were uh, cautions. So the 10-3 was uh, certainly closer than it, it appeared. Sam went back to the lab two months in between tournaments. And then we saw what he did. And that arm throw can be hit from just about anywhere he wants. He can set it up in a lot of unconventional ways. The only question surrounding Sam Hayeswinkle, aside from making sure he stays healthy throughout the summer leading into Budapest, is his stance. Um, and that goes for several of the other winners from Friday with United World Wrestling's emphasis on negative wrestling, which is different than passivity. Negative wrestling is caution. You cannot have a hips out, butt out, sort of folk style kind of stance. Other than if you do, you're going to get banged. Um, those kind of penalty points decide matches at, in any tournament, let alone the world championships. I mean, Ellis Coleman got cautioned in Paris last year against uh, Mate Nemes from uh, Serbia, and it it, you know, ruined his tournament. So that would be the only item uh, in question for Hayeswinkle. But other than that, just sparkling. Yeah, we'll talk about the cautions a lot more in our next wait. But uh, yeah, before we move on, the arm spin, I mean, arms throw was just outstanding the entire tournament. It seemed like almost like a video game. Like he just had to hit the button and he was able to <laughs> score with it. It was very impressive. And yeah, I think, yeah, it, it is very impressive. It's impressive that he's... I mean, it's one thing for Sam Hayes to hit an arm throw against a guy who qualified for the World Team Trials because 
you know, he took top seven and he's just getting into Greco and we had a few of those at 55 and elsewhere. But no, I mean, Sam is, he's a move he was always excellent with, of course. And the difference is, is that I think he has adapted like a little bit of a different style for, and he's dumping them off too. He's not necessarily going high around the shoulder all the time. I mean, he, he can just fling you down at this juncture. I mean, it's, He's impressive. Just so much fun to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, I mentioned 60 kilograms. Um, Dalton Roberts knocked off returning world team member Ildar Hafisov. Hafisov won the first match, then Roberts won the next two. Um, you know, very good performance from Roberts after he failed to make the U23 world team to come out here on the senior level. And, um, you know, he really moved Hafisov around the mat a lot. You know, you think against like a veteran guy like Hafisov, he would really be stoned and planted in the center. But, um, especially in the third match, Roberts was really moving him here, there, everywhere. Well, that's what he does. Uh, Dalton Roberts is going to come forward. He's going to get in your face. He's going to try to turn this into a fist fight. Um, that's how he was when he was a. I mean, he's he's thin now, but at least he's he's packing on he's packing on some muscle. But no, uh, Dalton when he was, you know, basically skin and bones through out uh, his earlier days in Northern a few years ago. I mean, it's still, he competed the same way. Uh, he just is a, he's a pressure fighter. He's going to come forward. He won his university national title over Alan Waters in 2016 by forcing Alan Waters to back up and flee. Alan Waters was actually more offensively effective in that bout, but he couldn't handle the pressure. And at the time, it wasn't that, you know, at the time, I think that that didn't seem like a big deal to a lot of people, you know, because it's a national title at the university level, you know, some, depending on what year we're talking about, those have a, you know, it's a little bit, I mean, it, it doesn't carry the same kind of esteem other tournaments do. But for me, uh, that was a, that was a statement just about the type of competitor he was. And as he has steadily improved at Northern, thanks to Rob. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Herman, um, the late Agassi Mnookin, and now Andy Bisick, just along with his overall talent, his ability to turn scrambles into scoring opportunities. Dalton Roberts is a dangerous wrestler for the United States. Uh, there are some who probably would have liked it better, to be quite honest with you, if um, Ildar had prevailed just because of his experience and his polish. Um, but you give Dalton Roberts an opportunity to fight for a world medal on the senior level, if there's anyone in the country who's going to take as much advantage and 
embrace that opportunity, um, it's going to be it's going to be dull. And he's he's just full of fire, uh, and I'm very excited to see what he'll he'll do uh, in October. Yeah, and I wanted to bring up the cautions because I think the it seemed like watching it that the refs were really on Hafizov, and he got I think he got several cautions, two or three. Um, is that a byproduct of Dalton's style, or is that just you know that's how they're going to call these matches to try to promote action? I would say that it's probably both. Um, I would say that it's a little bit of both because Dalton steps into your zone right away, and he's got long legs. But a lot of that has to do with Ildar coming from Europe, coming from Uzbekistan. Um, it, this is another difference with the U.S. is that our officials and the way we coach and teach Greco-Roman a lot of times it's as if touching legs is some kind of cardinal sin. Leg contact is going to happen when two bodies are clashing against each other you know for six minutes straight. That's just that's just a fact of life. Um, Ildar comes from a more free-flowing system and in Europe as strict as they are with negative wrestling and passivity you know they understand that legs are going to touch, and they can go. Yeah, hey, we have reviews. You know, you go and look at if, if uh, an offensive action was caused by legs, or if a defensive foul was committed because of legs. You can look at these things. But I think Ildar has kind of a kind of a, a little bit of a reputation for that sort of stuff. Um, that's not his fault. Um, and on top of that, uh, yeah, he he's also more patient, and sometimes patience betrays itself as maybe being negative or passive sometimes. But, I mean, he's certainly certainly not a passive wrestler. All right, so moving on to 63 kilograms. And I think that this was um, this was probably my series of the finals. Uh, there's sort of a budding rivalry between Jesse Tilke and the Mango Brothers. Um, he had defeated Spencer at the, World team tri- um, the Olympic team trials in 2016 and sort of sent him into retirement. And then... At the U.S. Open, Ryan Mango uh, knocked off Tilke, and he was very animated about it on the mat and very excited. But, um, you know, Jesse got revenge here and uh, took the spot on the world team. But um, match one especially, it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of four-point throws. Yeah, I think that's what people should expect when you see, you know, the caliber of athletes uh, that we have in this country who know each other, know how to compete against each other, and have, um, you know, enjoyed success at uh, various degrees throughout the last bunch of years. Ryan Mango and Jesse Dilke going back to 2013 and that World Team Trial Final, which Ryan Mango, I mean, basically had until the last second. Um, Yeah, I I think when, when Ryan Mango, you know, and he, and he bombed Jesse, Open semifinal, he got him out of there in a flourish. It, Jesse Thielke knows, maybe even better than anybody else in the country, knows how to raise his game at the most important moments. Ryan Mango has not quite gotten there yet. He, I mean, there, you could go ahead and put them uh, up next to each other side by side, and there's a lot there that would tell you. You know, wow, how does Ryan Mangle lose matches ever? I mean, just how? How? But Jesse Tilke's a different dude. Uh, he's an extraordinarily confident competitor. He 
he understands that different matches call for a different approach. He's performed in Child's finals before. When you see two guys exchanging back and forth, as you say, and you know, answering with four pointers, you know, that's that's not normal for guys who are that good. It's not normal to exchange like big moves like that in a, in a trials final, no less. And uh, yeah, I, Jesse's clicking. I think that if Jesse Thielke is right and he's healthy and everything is kind of you know smoothing along through, throughout the what's going to be you know a, a pretty intense summer of training, uh, Jesse Thielke has already proven that he can compete against the best guys in the world. I, you know, it's not to discount anybody else from the squad, but if there's a strong medal contender, Jesse Thielke is it. From a technical standpoint, I wanted to ask you this because um, it seems that Jesse routinely picks up fours from the quad pod more than like anybody in the United States. And, you know, do you think it's just his, his length or is a certain technique he goes for? Because it seems like when people try to hold up in that in that quad pot position, he's able to, you know, horse them over and get that four-point throw. Well, right. Well, Jesse Thielke can rotate his hips, um, and he can pop up and open into his uh, pop open his hips very quickly. And I think that is one element of folk style that actually helped him a lot. Is that he can he can, you know. When you say quad pod, that you gotta you gotta be able to have, you know, rely on uh, fast twitch and instinct. Um, otherwise, you know, you get off balance, and you know, uh, scores are gonna go the other way pretty quickly. Uh, Jesse can do this kind of stuff. I mean, he can. I mean, his his duck. He has a duck under that. There's times where he could just drop to a knee and then flare up. There's times where he does it with such ease. He, it's almost like a, you know, like a, a really good freestyle wrestler who just kind of drops to a hip to go after an ankle. I mean, Jesse can do those kinds of things in a Greco match, and we don't have a lot of guys who do that. Uh, that's one of the things that makes him so special. All right. So at 67 kilos, Ellis Coleman uh, knocked off Alejandro Sanchez for the second year in a row. Uh, it was three matches for Coleman. Um, you know, he seems to be reliable at this point to make a team but he really hasn't been able to bust through on the international circuit and uh you know where do you where would you put his medal chances if you had to like you know put a percent on it well that's tough to say because he's not carrying any ranking points uh into the world championships so that could go one of two directions ranking system points from uww we're only in year two of that kind of being rolled out Sometimes that can work to a wrestler's advantage. If you don't have confidence in a wrestler, you know, making it to the semifinals or finals of a world championship, then maybe not having ranking series points is great because you figure he's going to get put with into a, you know, an area of the bracket where, you know, some eventual finalist might be. And then if he goes and loses, that's not the worst thing in the world because he'll get spit into the repertoire and still have a chance at bronze. Um, I actually don't see that as a thing for. Uh, Ellis, uh, you know, Ellis defeating Sancho, especially the way he defeated Sancho, uh, I think left an impression. You know, Alex Sancho probably was not having the easiest time of his life making weight. There was question as to whether or not he would even be at 67. 
And these two have gone back and forth over the past couple of years and 2016 Olympic trials, uh, the national team bronze medal match, Sancho beat Coleman in the 2016 non-Olympic weight world team trials in New York City. Uh, Sancho destroyed Coleman in the semifinals of that tournament. And then the national final of 2016, December 2016, Coleman won controversially um, on a passive call that was, uh, for Sancho, that was white paddled uh, at the uh, last second. So, uh, and then you go to 2017, their best of three series, which I think a total of, I don't know, nine points, six points, I forget what it was, was scored in three matches. So uh, I think it was 13. But um, Ellis Coleman last year was coming on extraordinarily strong. He went 4-0 at the Thor Masters Invitational in March in Denmark. And he was looking exactly like how he used to look following, you know, his second junior world medal. You know, he was looking how he was wrestling in 2012 and 13. He was, you know, just it's like he's like a slick boxer who can move and faints, which you're kind of not supposed to do in Greco. You're not supposed to like, you know, fake a guy out before you get into a tie up so much. They don't really like that, the officials, but he was doing all of these. He was operating on a really, really high level. He comes off of a grueling three match series with Sancho to make his second world team last year. And then what happened with Ellis Coleman is that he, um, he, his body became accosted by, what is essentially like a, an autoimmune condition. And he no longer could cut weight without his body basically eliminating everything he had eaten in the you know, previous two days. Uh, it affected his training. He wasn't able to even participate really throughout last year's world team camp. Um, it affected him in Paris, and these aren't excuses. This, these are documented medical facts. And Ellis even tried to raise his hand for the military worlds in September, and he was wrestling um, Karczynski, um in the military worlds, a guy who you know teched Ellis in 2016 at the Hungarian Grand Prix. And Ellis was actually performing very well against them in the first period, and then the second period he he. Bowed out of the he bowed out of the match. He he left. He couldn't do it. His body completely shut down. Um, he couldn't. He could hardly put together coherent sentences. He couldn't stand up in the corner. He didn't know what he was going to do. And it was a big giant deal. This wasn't like um, he had broken a finger or he had the flu or something like that. This was very very serious. It required multiple trips to multiple doctors until they finally figured out what the hell was wrong with him. And so Ellis, to be able to perform like he performed in Vegas, where he didn't give up a point, and I think tech the field, you know, round about 38 to nothing. And the way he, you know, took care of Sancho in the back end of those those uh, three matches was incredible. And if Ellis Coleman is at all healthy, he is he's somebody I think everybody should feel very very confident in because if he's healthy, he's if he's healthy, I'll tell you right now, there's maybe six or seven guys in the world who could beat him, and that's not a lot. Absolutely. Um, all right, so 72, we had a bit of an upset on John J. Chavez, who currently wrestles for Cornell. He had competed in the U23 trials at 77, and he ended up as the runner-up. He dropped down to 72 and uh, upset Rayvon Perkins in the final. It was a three-match series there. 
Um, I, I was pretty surprised by this personally. I, I, I imagine you were too, but um, what were your feelings about this match? No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rayvon Perkins was the best wrestler in the, in the country in 2018 um, so far. I mean, if that means anything, it, which it really kind of doesn't, but Rayvon was 12-1 and one competitively uh, going into the trials. Uh, I think 10 of his wins were via tech. One, with a, one was a pin, and uh, I think, what, like eight of those wins came or something like that. Eight of those wins came from overseas. Uh, Rayvon, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a surprise. It was a surprise. Um, I think most people probably would have pointed to Rayvon as, you know, kind of like Ellis, like, oh, you know, he's, if he makes the team, he's a very strong metal candidate if everything breaks right. Um, what John J. Chavez did is uh, incredible. If, and that, and I, I hate to overuse a word, but it's incredible. John J. Chavez, yeah, right. Uh, you know, he he didn't have a great open. You know, Kamal Bay bombed him pretty quickly in the semifinals, and Chavez forfeited out of the tournament from there. And you know, you got to remember, son, uh, uh, Chavez has wrestled at 82 kilograms, okay, as well. You know, so he wasn't dropping a weight class. I mean, you can make the argument he dropped two weight classes essentially. And despite the fact that he looked a little bit uh, depleted. It's very tough to mess with a guy who's going to stay in his stance. He's going to have his. He's going to be in a staggered stance. He's going to have a leg forward. He's going to have his hips in, and he's going to be fighting for a position. Uh, you, it's very difficult when a when a when a wrestler is in proper position, specifically in Greco-Roman. It's very very difficult to score on him, okay? Because if he's always going to be in position, he's not going to really be vulnerable too often, and. What you saw from Chavez is that he grew confidence, uh, you know, during the course of the second match. You know, he was he was doing a really good job of turning Rave one from the ties, getting to different angles, and chasing them around back. And we haven't seen Rave one deal with someone like that in a while. You know, Patrick Smith, who is the gutsiest wrestler in the United States, he's, you know, probably the hardest guy to wrestle. He's a brawler, he's going to, I mean, you wrestle Patrick Smith, you're going to get beat up even if you win. Uh, but Patrick Smith doesn't, you know, I mean, Chavez beats Smith. I mean, you, you creating angles from a great stance and showing pressure, showing that you know how to convert on opportunities to the body and being able to defend when it counts. I mean, those are very important things. Chavez did all of them, you know, uh, not only did he do all of them correctly, he did all of them against, you know, in my mind, probably, like I said, the, the best wrestler in the country in 2018. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Chavez's style lends itself to Europeans. Uh, that's important. His his style is, I mean, last year Chavez competed in the Tbilisi Grand Prix um, in June, and he went one and one, and I know that doesn't sound like a, a lot. I don't, I know that probably doesn't sound, you know, crazy impressive or something like that. But the way he competed, the way he wrestled those two matches stood out to me. And it, not just to me, I mean, you know, other, you know, nerds who are like really, you know, <laughs> really into this. So, uh, yeah, uh, he's, I don't know, he looked tough. He really totally did. I'm 
very curious to see how this all unfolds for him. Well, yeah, you talked about how hard it is to wrestle guys who are able to hold position. Um, I think that that pretty much uh, describes Mason Manville on the Greco circuit. Um, last year, he defeated Kamal Bay by, you know, basically holding position, hand fighting, low scores. Um, and this year, Bay came back, and it was a different story. Iced the man, uh, the series in the second period with a pair of very nice high dives. Um, and I think that one of the one of the ways that sort of separates the tiers of U.S. Greco guys is their ability to score from neutral. And I think that Bay has always been a guy who could score from neutral, but I think he's picking up different techniques and he's doing getting better at applying the techniques he already has. And I think that you know a match like this versus you know, the first period against someone like Alex Meyer last year where you know that Bay has the offense, but it's hard to get to it. And I think in, in these matches, he was able to get to his offense consistently, and I was, I was very impressed with that as well. Well, right. I mean, Mason Manville deserves an, a ton of credit for coming into the tournament. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With only... He went to Thor Masters in February. Uh, he, I mean, he competed against one of the best guys in the world in Alex Kestis from uh, Sweden. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, he went over to Thor Masters just for the tournament. He didn't stay for the camp. So he got two matches in and basically hopped on a flight. And from there, you know, yeah, sure, he's in the Penn State room. And I'm very confident that's an extraordinarily tough room to be in, no matter what style you're, you're uh, participating in. I did not expect Mason Manville to get out of the challenge tournament. Um, I, I really didn't. I figured that he was going to probably have a lot of rust to shake off. I couldn't have been more wrong. He looks fantastic. When he beat Kamal last year, that was predicated upon two things in particular. First off, it was the two-on-one. Kamal has a lot of trouble with the two-on-one. At least he used to have a lot of trouble with the two-on-one. And also Manville. Um, and you know what? I'm not... Well, if you're going to say something, you say it. I mean, Manville gave Kamala concussion last year in the first match. Uh, I mean, everything <laughs> kind of went a little bit weird after that. Uh, you know, Manville leads with his head. He does. He does. He does. He does. He leads with his head. And he always he has and, since high school. So <laughs> it's not it's sure, not a secret yeah, to anybody. Yeah, listen, yeah. you're preaching a choir. <laughs> I have a brother who's uh, completely different than I am. He's really, really, really into high school and college wrestling, and uh, he's a gigantic Mason Manville. And, and as am I, as am I, and I love his style, but he does lead with his head a lot, and that caused a problem going off the edge last year in Vegas, and, you know, Kamal had his bell rung, and he, I don't think he recovered. That's my personal opinion. I mean, Kamal did have a concussion. That's not my opinion. 
um, and Manville checked him out uh, in bout number two uh, in Vegas, and it was like Kamal was underwater. Uh, Manville acquitted himself extraordinarily well in Paris. You know, I mean, he granted he he was unable to advance in the tournament, but he did pick up a win, and there's, you know, he's one of the best competitors we have as far as being competitive, knowing how, I mean, it doesn't matter who he's going against, he's always going to be competitive. Uh, Kamal, in order for Kamal to be successful at the senior level, not domestically, just internationally, I expect Kamal Bey to be successful on the domestic level here. Uh, in order for Kamal to be able to score against the best guys in the world, he is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to, you know, create scoring opportunities without just, you know, you're not going to be able to score on, you know, top guys just by, you know, momentarily clearing a tie up and then zooming in on a high dive. That's not going to work against, you know, world medalists. It's just, it's, it's, it's not, no matter how explosive and talented you are, you know, they see that stuff coming a mile away. They've been, you know, defending high dive since they were six. Um, what Kamal is doing now is he's figuring out that like he can be a little bit, uh, you know, lack of a better term, deceptive in the tie-ups, and he can go ahead and cut to an angle and then drop down and go and pound out, uh, you know, a blooming body lock. Uh, if he is going to continue to innovate the stuff he already does extremely well, you know, he could be a 20-year-old medalist and, uh, you know continue on as the, the toast of the town. I mean, he is a once-in-a-generation athlete, and he's willing to improve, and he's willing to put himself through hell in the workout room. He has He's the complete package. Um, whomever came out of 70, 77, I was actually going to be confident. Whether that was Manville or whether that was Kamal, I was going to be like, hey, listen, you know, we've seen Manville already do this at the Worlds last year. You know, what? It's, I mean, he's, you know, depending on the draw, of course, but, I mean, you, you could have felt good about Manville. But Kamal, you know, reigning world champion, who has beaten a lot of excellent senior guys uh, internationally, I mean, it's tough. It's really tough to argue with that. All right. Um, one thing, we didn't really get to see it in the finals match, but uh, I've been talking to a lot of people about the, technique that Kamal uses um, defensively in parterre where he kind of like dives away um, like right at the whistle and I was just curious because I think a lot of people seem to think that that would get him into trouble against some better top parterre guys Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on that well it could get him into trouble with certain officials uh, depending on where he is on the mat like you're talking about from a touch start Um, yeah like it could get him into trouble if he like was doing that kind of coming to the edge because then that's fleeing. If he's doing it from a touch star, which he does, uh, then it's not such a big deal. Yeah, it could get him into trouble against a guy who has scouted him. You know, a guy who sees it coming is going to, you know, is going to look forward to that because it's like, well, when he goes and lunges forward, that's that's plenty enough time for an elite competitor to, you know, reach his, his underneath arm and lock around Kamal and probably get a a nice, easy run of gut wrenches. But, uh, you know, Kamal also is getting better and better at making himself heavy and bottoming out. And, 
you know, collapsing his hip as somebody's trying to lift or, or, or gut over. So, it, I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's certainly, look, United States guys all, as a whole, their weakness is defending from parterre. That's something that's absolutely not a secret. So um, whatever guys have to do, I mean, I'm actually a proponent of trying to stand up. You know, we saw Peyton Walsh um, in Croatia in January. He he stood up on one of the better wrestlers in the tournament, former U23 uh, medalist, uh, Kamajasevic, and uh, Peyton Walsh stood up. You know, folk-style stand-up, okay? Um, he stood up, and he actually was... <laughs> He was actually peeling at the, he was actually peeling at the hands around his <laughs> around his waist, which technically you're not supposed to do. Um, and he stood up and he turned and faced the guy and forced a step out that he actually didn't get credit for, which we later learned he should have. But that's a whole other story. But yeah, uh, Kamal lunging forward, that's his thing, and he's not the only one on the planet who does that. But uh, yeah, I, I, if it works, you got to keep doing. it. Fair enough. Um, so at 82 kilograms, Gordon Spieler made his, I believe it was his first senior world team, um, and he knocked off Cheney Haight. Cheney Haight's a guy that Spieler has beaten multiple times in the past, but um, you know, winning match one seven two and match two eight zero, uh, very impressive performance from the Florida Jets competitor. Yeah, Jordan Spieler is uh, along with Kamal Bay, along with Ellis Coleman. Uh, you you could look at Jordan Spieler as one of the most um, gifted wrestling athletes in, in, in our Greco-Roman program um, is Cheney Haight is uh, he's to say he's special would be an understatement I'm not going to take up too much time on your podcast talking about uh, what an absolute treasure of a man he is and how important he is to uh, all of us and to this program as a whole but um Jordan Spieler, if Jordan Spieler had made the team last year, okay, he was a medal in waiting. And to say that about an American is not always easy. Uh, Jordan Spieler last year was in, uh, I just uh, on, a, on a level that I, I didn't think he, I even, even give, given his talent, I, I wasn't even sure that he would ever be able to compete as well as he was last year, which is saying something considering how good he is. Last year, Spieler had came off of a pro pronounced layoff following, you know, the Rio Olympic trials and then the University Nationals. Came back at the Dave Schultz Memorial and he, you know, beat an Olympian in the uh, from Egypt in the finals. He goes into the Grandma Cup. He has one match and you know there there was no uh, you know he had a bye to the finals. He, he won that. Then he goes into the Hungarian Grand Prix and he completely destroys three of the top ten ranked guys in the, in the world. And he loses in the finals. Um, he loses in the finals to Hungary, uh, world champion, uh, four to nothing on an arm throw in the first 20 seconds of the match. And he had beaten that guy. Um, he had beaten that guy the year before. Uh, you know, so it was academic. I mean, I think everybody expected Jordan to make the team last year. He was upset by Marine John Stefanowicz in the semifinals on a correct throw, arm throw. And Cheney wound up beating Stefanowicz in the uh, best of three. Uh, Jordan Spieler is, you know, he's he's like Thielke. Um He's like Thielke in that so long as everything is clicking right, he's 
one of our best shots uh, in Budapest. There's absolutely no question about it. And 82, 82 is deep. Um, 82 is deep. Uh, we'll be deep at the World Championships, but even with that, Jordan Spiller will be part of that depth. Uh, he is not anonymous to, to these guys. And, uh, yeah, it was a great tournament. It was a great two matches against Chaney, and he knew how to, you know, he, he avoided Chaney's arm throw. He... He avoided Cheney bogging him down and finding, you know, lanes to the body. Uh, that's and he, then he went and ignited his own offense. And Jordan Spieler is probably, you know, uh, outside of Kamal, he's probably the best, uh, you know, most dynamic offensive Greco-Roman competitor we have. All right. So at 87, Patrick Martinez um, upset Ben Provisor, who's probably the veteran of veterans uh, in the Greco world these days. Um, so on one hand, it was very impressive upset, and he makes a world team. On the other hand, the two matches he won were both 1-1 criteria wins. So um, sort of positives and negatives to take away from this series. Well, the positive is is that <clears throat> ignoring the ignoring the fact that you know the last two matches were 1-1s. I think it was the most, the, the most compelling, most tense, most violent three matches of the entire tournament. You know, um, I mean, when you hear muscle on muscle, bone on bone, crashing into each other for what is, you know, essentially 18 minutes of action, you know, that is something that really pains me about the American audience is that they don't get that that's the fight. Right there, that's the fight. You know, y'all want to see fighting. Here's the fight, okay? I mean, it doesn't get more intense than two guys, you know, banging their shoulders into each other's faces and into, into their sternums and collapsing each other's offensive attempts with all of their, you know, all of their might, all of their energy. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, like that's the disconnect, you know? Like I, I don't see how that, that doesn't draw people in, but I get it. You know, I get it, I get it, I get it. We're a scoring culture. We want to see points. We want to see points. Uh, but uh, Ben made some really questionable uh, errors. You know, Ben, for as, you know, the, he's he's like a battering ram. If you can make a battering ram and shape it into the figure of a human, that's what Ben Provisor would be. And he, I don't know. He was making mistakes. He was starting to lean. You know, Ben Provisor is what five foot seven, okay, at eighty-seven kilos, and he's leaning, and you know that you, you know that officials, for the most part, in the United States, they they don't bang guys enough for passivity, um, in my opinion, um, and that's a problem if only because it doesn't prepare our guys for when they go to Europe. And those officials are going to bang you just for standing still for two seconds. So, um, but Ben was leaning and he was starting to wear, he was starting to fade. Um, he was not trying to clear out for, uh, meaningful attempts. And there's a difference between making an attempt and making a meaningful attempt, uh, an attempt that actually goes somewhere, an attempt that even if it doesn't lead to a score, Put your opponent on his heels. He wasn't really doing that either. And a big part of that was because Patrick Martinez was starting to bust him up in the tie-ups. And Patrick Martinez, who Ben has usually been able to bully around, couldn't bully him around anymore. 
and you know you hate to mess maybe you hate to see matches decided by passives and I, I I'm not that as much as I love the brawling I you know I don't want to see matches end that way either because I think the, you know I, I don't you never want the official to decide who wins but Ben has been in this position he knows how to perform he just couldn't get it done um, where that leaves him now I don't know but Patrick Martinez who only started full-time Greco-Roman training in 2014 is what can you say he just made his third world team you know um so you say upset it's it's an upset kind of um i wouldn't call it a big upset for sure patrick martinez has made his made his third world team just now and he also has a collection of international medals including two golds from december one in russia and one in finland so yeah i mean there's uh there was a lot of i think uh a lot of intrigue about that series and with joe rao out of the equation this is what we got which was a three-match brawl Fair enough. So at 97, uh, Gian- Giangelo Hancock makes the world team uh, in two over Dan Miller. Um, you know, Miller is a guy who I think every time we see him, he's better. Um, he's definitely improving. And I think especially in match one, he, um, you know, gave Han- Hancock a lot of trouble. Uh, the four that he got, I'm not really sure that that was a four, but um, the referees gave it to him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Hancock came back with a, a throw of his own and, you know, got back in the match. And, it's kind of like very similar to how I felt about watching Bay's match, and it's that Hancock was able to score from the neutral position when his opponent knew that he had to score from the neutral position, and so he, you know, his opponent was trying to shut him down, and he came through with the scores anyway. So uh, I thought that was important and probably promising for his development as he, uh, you know, continues to improve as well. Right. Well, in in our preview, you know, what we said about Tracy is that out of everybody at ninety seven. I mean, and which is, it's almost trite, if only because, I mean, Tracy now in two and a half years or so, this was his fifth world team, you know, between two junior teams, um, two U23 teams now, and uh, no, six world team, I guess, right? Yeah, because now it's two, two in a row for the senior level. So um, Tracy, out of everybody in 97, he was the only one who, if he won, would have been seen as somebody who could medal in Budapest. That is not a disrespect to anybody else. It's just a fact of life. He has performed already. We've seen it. Uh, Daniel Miller was losing match. If this match takes place as recently as eight months ago, Daniel Miller loses to Tracy 16-0 in two matches. Okay. Um, no one has improved at the, at the highest reaches of our sport in this country. No one has improved more than Daniel Miller. Um, which is kind of odd to say because even when Daniel Miller first started Greco uh, a couple years back, he, he, he instantly showed a knack for being able to compete overseas. I mean, he got a medal in his first overseas tournament, which was the uh, Zagreb Open in Croatia. But against domestic competition, Daniel Miller would lose to guys who are not on his level. And you wondered what the what the problem was. How are you competing against guys from Europe? Daniel Miller lost to an Olympic bronze medalist in 2016, sank Ildem from Turkey. Daniel Miller lost him to two to nothing. Okay, that's a good. Meanwhile, Daniel Miller goes into a, a national tournament is going to get teched out by a guy who trains you know six months a year. It's like what what is going on here? Um, Daniel has figured out how to compete against other U.S. guys. He doesn't get as uh, full of anxiety in certain positions. He doesn't put so much pressure on himself from certain positions. He doesn't overreach. He's not. Um, 
he's understanding that it's okay for him to be relaxed and confident, even when another guy is, you know, pummeling through and has two underhooks on him. Um, that being said, Tracy won those matches on talent. That's how Tracy won. It was a t- talent and an understanding what he can do. And what Tracy can do is score from the feet much more deftly than most other 97-kilogram guys. Uh, Tracy can Tracy can go ahead, you know, and do stuff that you see you see at let's say 63 kilos. Okay, Tracy can go and use shoulder passes and take an arm drag in two different directions before settling on a, a cross arm drag and get to the body or chase from behind or whatever he has to do. He's um, Tracy was not a Greco-Roman wrestler. He could have been. A, a wonderful strong safety in the NFL. Um, he has that kind of he has that kind of ability residing in his bones, and he's a student of the sport. And he's gone through a lot of off the mat issues. Um, he has shot himself in the foot uh, figuratively, and he's beginning to appreciate what this actually means and how rare this lifestyle is. And I, I very very hopeful and confident that he's going to make the most out of this opportunity and provided that he has a decent lane in his brackets uh tracy's a is you know what unequivocally a medal contender i should say yeah i think that um hancock and bay are two guys that show the promise of the Greco program as it is today. Cause you know, we see them, they're improving and they're still very young. And I think that, um, I think as they continue to grow and develop, I think their progress will probably be tied. And, um, you know, if we're going to have a good showing in 2020, I think it's going to start with those guys. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Because you, you know, you're, 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 you're schooled on uh, freestyle. Okay. When it comes to young athletes in, when it comes to young athletes in freestyle, I, I, I would imagine that the perspective is often, you know, it's a little bit different if only because so many of these guys are, you know, have achieved stuff in college, you know, um, by the time they get to freestyle. Uh, Tracy and Kamal, you know, this is their college. <laughs> okay, this is their yeah. college. Like Dalton Roberts goes to Northern Michigan. Okay. Well, Tracy and Kamal, they, they go to the Olympic Training Center. Well, Tracy used to go to the Olympic Training Center. Um, but full-time Greco competition is their – that's their education. And you almost look at it, I would think, the same way you would look at almost the way Jordan Burroughs uh, started his senior career, you know, in a way. Because Jordan Burroughs went and finished up with Nebraska and the national title, I think it was the second, right, in 2011. And then in 2012, he, you know, quote unquote, graduates to full-time senior competition, wins an Olympic gold medal. Well, for Tracy and Kamal, they both came up in the beginning of this quad uh, following 2016. And it would appear that you could look at Tokyo almost as their graduation to the higher level. You know, that's four years, 2020. And if you look at their progress, which is a great word because that's what they are, they're still in progress you would almost be able to see that trajectory considering what they've accomplished thus far and just their not forget their accomplishments most importantly how they're improving in you know 
you know, a variety of technical aspects that mean something uh, at the senior level. So I think that's a, I think that's the right way to put it. Yeah, I think that the U.S. program right now, yeah, that's who more than anybody else. That's who those two guys are, who the program's uh, wagon is hitched to. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when it comes to freestyle or guys going from folk style to freestyle, um, we've seen guys come right off the college mats and have success in um, freestyle, which sort of leans to the idea that, you know, there isn't that much of a learning curve and there isn't that much difference. And I think, you know, just in this conversation, we've talked about in how that's not the case in Greco and has, it is very different and it is a steep learning curve. So you get the natural progression of someone that would go through college and they're also picking up and, you know, like you said, Tracy's a student of the game. They're also picking up the style and the intricacies of the new style. So it's like you get both kinds of progression at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Greco-Roman in this country needs. It needs one of two things. It needs either more athletes converting over to a full-time basis when they're younger, whether that's cadet age or not. And we also need to do a better job as a whole of taking guys who their whole background is folk style freestyle and making the most out of it and finding ways to translate that. You know, uh, the it's you know that's the one area where I think you know that's you know Linland, Coach Linland runs a very hard line when it comes to to that directive. Okay, he he firmly believes that you know come 16, 17 years older in that neighborhood, guys need to start specializing. If you're going to be a Greco-Roman wrestler here now, you're going to be doing nothing but Greco. If you're going to be a freestyler there or whatever it is. Um, that's still a long ways off, probably, um, until that's, you know, a cultural norm in our wrestling uh, for the United States. So in the meantime, it would seem that, okay, well, while we try to do that, we, we do have to do a better job. Uh, uh, you know what? A faster job of teaching our athletes how to use folk style, the folk style system to our advantage, okay? Because... That throughout the 90s, and I'm 39 years old, so, um, you know, I, I remember tons of those teams. As a matter of fact, last night I was, uh, my brother's visiting from Georgia, and uh, he had a box of uh, old wrestling stuff that he was picking up to bring back home, and there was an issue of USA Wrestler from 1991 and another one from, I think, 1989. So, like, uh, we, remember, <laughs> we remember these things. <laughs> and a lot of those teams from the 90s were comprised, you know, 95% or so of guys who wrestled in college and they had success. And so you would be like, okay, well look, how did these guys wrestle all four years of college and then go to Greco and they were good. But yet now that's like the excuse the Greco program is using. Oh, well we're getting guys after college and blah, 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 blah. Well, the difference is the sport has changed an awful lot. Okay. And the sport has changed all over the world. It's competed differently. It's officiated, you know, well the officiating has always been atrocious and it is even still, um, for the most, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a couple of great guys who have been making a, a tremendous effort to provide education, and Zach Air is chief among them. But I mean, just consistent consistency is a problem, and I always was, probably always will be. But what we're seeing is that these other countries who have already always been powerhouses, they're putting out world medalists at younger and younger ages. Okay, guys aren't 28 years old on the average picking up medals anymore. They're now about 22, 23 at the most. And so with that, the United States has to adapt better. And if we can't you know, start committing a bunch of 16-year-olds into full-time programs, which I hope becomes increasingly the case, then we have to become 
more creative and more effective at using folk style to make our Greco better. You know, you talk to somebody like Sam Hayeswinkle or, or even TC Dantzler, and they will tell you, if we can do that, we'd be better than everybody else because we have a secret the others don't know. Um, I am not, I don't have a high enough technical IQ to be able to describe how that happens, but I can tell you that there's an awful lot of people who believe it. And right now it's the only option. Well, there you go. So we reached the uh, heavyweight class here, and you know Adam Kuhn makes his first senior Greco World Team, takes out Robbie Smith in the final. And you know at the time, a lot of people were talking about whether he was going to make the World Team in freestyle as well. He ended up coming short against Nick Wisdowski. Um, I thought that I, I was pretty surprised by this because I think that Kuhn and Robbie have a history. Robbie beat him at the U.S. Open this year, and then Robbie beat him in the uh, 2016 Olympic Trials too. And I think that, um, you know, I thought that Robbie was just going to use his experience edge in Greco to win another one. But uh, Kuhn was able to get it done in two straight matches. And it was very impressive. And, uh, you know, I think at his size, I mean, I'm curious to get your opinion about what his shot is at Worlds. Because, I mean, you know, I guess it is heavyweight. But he does seem to be such a mountain of a man that it might be hard to score against him. Well, yeah, I... The mountain of a man thing is why it's hard to score. It will be hard to score against him. Um, the reason why Adam Kuhn was able to beat Robbie Smith, aside from that, you know, that four-pointer at the end that turned into a pin, um, the reason why he was able to defeat Robbie was because, uh, at least, you know, visually, anyway, <laughs> the reason why is because he made very, a very, very important important adjustment in the u.s open final two months ago robbie walked into double underhooks and marched coon around the mat there was like it was like a waltz okay he was marching around the mat and coon couldn't do anything about it he was on his heels he was getting step outs and i think Kuhn actually gave up a four uh you know kind of off balance for uh going off the line i think that was in the first period or early in the second i'm not even sure anymore but either way, Robbie was able to bully him around, and Kuhn couldn't do anything about it. Okay, um, what we saw here in match one is Kuhn right away was like, "Okay, I know that that can't happen again." <laughs> right, so uh, he constantly tried to lock around Robbie and walk Robbie around, and wouldn't you know it, that tactic was successful. He was able to meet Robbie uh, in the middle of the mat and say, okay, if this is how it has to be, this is how it has to be. And he just, I, I was stunned the way he was moving with Robbie. I was, I was stunned. We've, I've seen heavyweights far better than Kuhn not be able to do that. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of getting over it because I was that surprised to see I mean, then again, you know what? Kuhn is a genius, isn't he? Can't he, like, put together a jet engine with, like, paper clips and a shoebox and a couple rubber bands or something? I mean, that's, like, his IQ, I, I believe. He's, you know, kind of an aeronautical engineer or something. Uh, I, maybe I should not be surprised uh, that he was smart enough to understand that he could not allow Robbie Smith to get underneath him. You know, forgetting Robbie's height for just a second, even if Robbie was the same height as him, you can't let Robbie Smith get underneath you because if you do, you are going to get tossed violently um and never mind the the mechanics of being walked around the mat and giving up step out points 
and instead it was Kuhn. I mean, even Kuhn was close to getting stepped out himself, but then he would pivot and he turned Robbie out of bounds. And yeah, it was that match one. I'll say this, and having watched Robbie for a hundred years, um, match one, I did not, I did not like. Let's say I, I did not expect Robbie to win match two, uh, necessarily after seeing match one, and if only because it didn't look like a fluke, it looked like a really great strategy. Um, and sure enough, I mean, it was a tough match in match two, and Robbie had it until the last 20 seconds. I mean, he was winning on criteria, and Robbie did a much better job of weaving in and out of the pummel in match two. But, you know, that, you know, winning on, you know, holding a criteria lead, you know, two heavyweights, it's anything can happen. It's like heavyweight boxing. You know, all it takes is one shot. Somebody's going to go down, and they're not going to get back up. And that's kind of what happened. Now, as far as Kuhn, at the world level, if the world championships were to take place next week, I would not be very confident in him at all. Um, primarily because Kuhn, you know, and this is not at all uh, 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 meant to be a, a, a diss. I, my life is based around United States Greco-Roman wrestling and promoting the athletes on the program. Uh, so it's, I mean, I, I absolutely would love it if Kuhn would pound everybody into dust on his way to a gold medal. And I think that that could happen. If it was going, if the worlds were this week, I would not believe that. You know, I watch far more international wrestling than I do domestic because there's so much more of it. And, you know, Kuhn, the stuff that he was doing against the opponents in the challenge tournament, even at the open, you know, I mean, in the open semis, he pinned Donnie Langendijk. Um, by basically scrambling over the top and hitting over. I mean, that's the kind of thing you really don't see too often at the foreign uh, competitions. You just kind of don't. And a lot of Kuhn's offense is, is similar to like Fargo Greco, you know, where it's like, okay, it's not really Greco. They're, he's just not really touching legs. You know, he's snapping down and spinning and things like this. Um, you know, guys, guys in the world championships aren't going to be that easy to navigate for sure. However, if you go and beat Robbie Smith first off, a guy who's been, you know, fifth twice in the world, and uh, you you go ahead and you summit that mountain, and you, I, I mean, this is why I was happy Kuhn didn't make the freestyle team. You know exactly why. Okay, if you're going to tell me Adam Kuhn is going to focus his life on Greco-Roman wrestling for the next four months and then compete in the world championships, that guy can beat anybody in the world. Okay, mm -hmm. no doubt about it. And the heavyweight from Russia, Seminov, is. He's not just a, a fantastic heavyweight. He's a fantastic overall athlete. And I think come October, Kuhn could beat that type of guy. Can he beat Lopez from Cuba? I don't know. Can he beat Kyle from Turkey? I'm not sure. Um, can he beat Heike Nabi from Estonia? I'm not sure. Um, he might not be able to beat those guys right this second. Um, he doesn't have to this second. He has to do it in October. Right. You know, Adam Kuhn now has you know, about 16 or some odd weeks or so to prepare for a world championships tournament. Um, considering the adjustments he made to beat Robbie Smith in two months, I'm going to go ahead and assume that there's not no, put nothing past this guy in October. Um, I am really, really impressed by him. I think you'd have to be completely your head buried in the sand not to be. So, um, yeah. Uh, once again, 77 kilograms was a guy I would have been confident in no matter what. 130 was obviously the same. 
but um, I don't think this is the end of Robbie's career by any stretch of the imagination. I, I mean, I certainly hope it's not. Um, and, you know, he had committed to competing uh, up into the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics. But, um, you know, for this year, it's Adam Kuhn. And Adam Kuhn, with time to educate himself, is one dangerous human being. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. When you see the improvements that he was able to make from open to trials, um, you know, it's exciting to see if he can make similar or more improvements before Worlds uh, coming up. So, uh, Tim, I want to thank you for taking the time out to help us out here on the inaugural episode. And, uh, you know, everyone for Greco, if you're listening to this, you probably already know about Five Point Move, but if you don't, check it out. It's a great website. They have articles, podcasts, previews, post write-ups, pretty much everything you need to know about Greco and keeping myself and the rest of the wrestling world informed on our Greco guys. Oh, that is, I, that means a lot to me. Um, that means a lot to um, our program. Uh, thank you very, very much um, for you know, trying to um, increase the exposure for Greco-Roman. I absolutely apologize. Sometimes I get tangential speaking about these things, and um, it's, you know, <laughs> it's probably because I don't get to enough, I would imagine, but um, I, I, I loved it. I had a great time talking about these guys in the finals, and I hope that people get behind our team and our program. This could be a very, very special year. Um, in Budapest, and we have three teams, you know, cadet, junior, and senior, who are all capable of maybe historical things. So there's a lot of excitement going on, and I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to speak about some of it.